History is made by the Republic of Ireland. I'm honestly speechless. I mean, we're going to a World Cup, but it's what dreams are made of. For all the best reaction to the girls in green qualifying for the World Cup, subscribe to the OTB Football Podcast stream now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Keith Wood, good morning to you. How are you? Uh, I'm very good. Um, albeit a bit confused with this, Char. St- I've struggled with it a little. It's been interesting. Uh, I understand Colin Buick ruined your day yesterday when he texted you wondering, would you have a think about this? It's, uh, it's a good piece and we'd like to do it with you. And you're like, okay. But then all of a sudden your brain took over and, um, and you got busy. Well, it was it was it was Monday, and it ruined Monday afternoon. I had an awful lot of work on, and all I could think about was this bloody list. But um, I have thought about it a fair bit over the last period of time because of the international rugby experience that's been built in Limerick, um, and they do have an element for this for people to be able to build their own best ever fifteen. They've two hundred and seventy or eighty players that are linked over the last number of years so you can kind of build your own one out but it's funny when we were building all those names in I never fully got my head around building my own which was kind of interesting and then it's whatever criteria you decide you want to use and I'm I'm not a huge fan of lists so um, it's what's the most appropriate team are they the best performances that have happened are they the best players that spanned a career are they guys that I played with on the international field or against them or the best pure individual performance? You know, I, it's hard. And there was guys that were playing when, when I was playing that I didn't play against and I haven't put those in either. And that's been, that was kind of difficult because some of those players were just extraordinary. So it's, yeah, it put me in a little bit of a spin on Monday. Okay, well, good. Nice to start the week in a way that gets the old uh, synapses firing and the little grey cells working. Um what were your own criteria then? So you didn't include anybody you hadn't actually played against on the field of play, is that? I didn't. I have them kind of on, a, on they're on the list because they, they're all, some of them are worth a mention. I think if, if I take one in particular, um, and I was trying to make certain that I hadn't played against him, but I don't think I played against Laurent Caban, um, but I did play with him and he was one of the top three or four players I played with in, in my whole career. He was a French wing forward. He, apart from the fact he was unbelievably good crack, um, he had he had a talent that was almost embarrassing. He was so good. He was very slight, had been in a, a car accident when he was younger, couldn't do a huge amount of weights, but could do things on a rugby field that I've never seen anybody else be able to do. So, wow. and he isn't, and he isn't on the list. He's he's in my sort of further reaches, but he he d- doesn't make the team because I I don't think I played against him. So, um, I have one more. I think I'll talk about actually same position. Um, Richard Hill, who I played against often, and he played six for England. Um, but when he played seven for the Lions. I thought he was the best seven I ever played with. Wow. He was truly, truly amazing. But he doesn't make it either. So that's a little bit frustrating. And I've also taken the view of players who were who were excellent but may not have got the credit that they deserved, but their quality all the time was amazing. So I think it starts with that. Actually, that's the easiest way to go is to start at one, which I went with Tom Smith. Um because now I played with Tom on in five lines tests and 
he was never considered such a huge star for the very simple reason he wasn't a huge man and there were far bigger guys and you had Oz Durant who was there and Christian Califano who I played against often who was quite extraordinary but Tom seemed never to make a mistake ever and was so unbelievably consistent but fought against the challenge of I've been half the size of some of the guys he was against. I mean, he was extraordinary. So I, that's like that's so my criteria are all mixed up without a shadow of a doubt. I think it's a really good team um, in my time, but I, um, uh, yeah, I know that the, everybody's has their own opinion. Everybody's going to come with their own one uh, in relation to it. But Tom was magic. It, it is a pretty good team. I'll get to that one second. So just for anybody who's who's watching and is unfamiliar, what's the era here? What what are the years that are qualifying for you? And the years to qualify for me are I joined the Ireland squad in 92. Um, so actually, um, 92, I, I played from 94 to 2003. So there were some pretty stunning players in that period of time. I also include, included a Babas game. We played South Africa in 94 because some of the players that played on that day were just off the chart, but were off the chart in terms of maybe the history of the game as well. Okay. Well, I, I, I was wondering, what, 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 and then I'm like, ah, okay, <laughs> I see why. So Tom Smith is, is your number one. And uh, on, on the list of other potential number ones, there were loads of other great players. But when you were playing against Tom Smith, what was that like? Um, it was kind of the joy of playing with him and the joy of playing against him was almost flip sides of, of a coin. He never said anything ever at any stage. So you never knew whether you had him under pressure. Um, you never knew whether anything was going against uh, against him in any way, shape or form. He bore his roles and responsibilities at scrum time in particular with total silence. So he never seemed to be under pressure. He never showed any pain in any way, shape, or form. He had the most extraordinary hands. Lens. I mean, if there was a if there was a player from from my era that would suit the way um, expansive rugby is going now, it was Tom Smith. He had the best. He had the most extraordinary hands. And I was telling a story the other day that was kind of a criticism against a couple of scrum halves. And someone said they thought because I was watching it with Tom Smith, they thought that um, I was going to tell the story that Tom went into scrum half to pass the ball the 25 yards because he had that skill set. So um, it's it was the consistency of, like, no, people can be consistent and not consistently good. He was consistently fantastic all the time. He just didn't make any mistakes. So to have a player like that in the front row was, was extraordinary. Tom, of course, passed away at a very reasonably young age as well Keith earlier this year like yeah um, uh, sad to see that and but a lot of the tributes that came in and I was just reading one there from from uh, from when he passed away one of the great props of all time so even if you hadn't played against him you probably have him up there as 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 one of the great props well he played five tests lines tests in a row six sorry six lines tests in a row and and um, you know in the front row that's incredible that's just incredible and um, look, I always said it, so I'll go back to something. There's obviously nostalgia in, in, in terms of this, but uh, having toured with him in 97 and then having not played with him but played against him for the for the four years in between and then playing with him again in, in uh, 2001, 
it was just incredibly comfortable. There was no issue. It was as if we'd been playing together for the for the four years in between. It was as if, yeah, he knew exactly what I needed and he just did it. He just did his job incredibly well. Yeah. He's a good fella. I think that's the other thing. I know he's a patron yeah. of charities and, and uh, gave of his time willingly and you know, we probably won't spend as long talking about everybody else. We we definitely could, but I I do know that he was a good fella too. Oh yeah, sure, he was class. He was my roommate for um for a lot of the Lions tours, so I got used to him. Um, I think I described it when he di- when when he passed away that there's one person who wouldn't shut up and the other person never spoke at all. So we're <laughs> perfect roommates. But um, yeah, um, yeah, pretty magic guy. Uh, Ledesma, Mario Ledesma, and Jason Leonard are the are the rest of that front row. Talk to us about them. Well, um, Ledesma for me, it's like I played against him a good bit in Argentina. He was vying with Federico Mendes. Um, for me, Mendes was stronger. It was like he was a beast. He was a prop. But actually, if you put pressure uh, on him for striking, he wasn't comfortable. Um, unfortunately for Ledesma, there was nothing you could do to put him uh, to put him off in terms of the scrum, and I thought that became very important in terms of this. Um, he was. I, I mean, I played a, a cup final against him. They were playing Nabon Challenge Cup. Um, he was playing for Nabon, and I actually didn't recognise my wife after the game, and it was out of pure unadulterated fatigue, having played eighty minutes um, against him in the front row. Now I did play. And 30 minutes extra time um, in the back row that day and that was another reason for it but um, I hated playing against him he's a, he's a, he's a, another really good guy but I hated playing against him um, because of that pressure and on the list of guys I have there I had Phil Kearns in there I had Ibanez in there John Schmidt uh, Mark uh, Del Masso and I also had Garen Jenkins who uh, a lot of guys may not know enough of but he was the hardest guy I ever scrummed against. He was very short and very difficult to play against. But Ledesma, for me, tops it. Uh, for Jason, I went for Jason because he plays on both sides of the scrum. I played with him and against him. I played with him with for Quinns and for the Lions. Um, but we played side by side for seven years with Harlequins. Um, but he was... Like, he started at 20 years of age playing for England and went all the way through the old style of, of, of rugby with um, with Dooley and Dean Richards and all that guys from England, that hard side, all the way into the professional one, um, to playing on the lines, to, to um, playing in a World Cup, to winning a World Cup. Um, yeah, I thought he, he fit the bill. I had Ola Brown in there as well, which well, some of the older listeners would remember, but he was at the very end of his career. So I never got to see him at his absolute best when I played against him. Okay. Uh, second row, Martin Johnson and John Eales. That's not bad. <laughs> no, I think, you know, like Jono was a, the best captain I ever played um, with or against. I also think his performance as a second row in the World Cup final in 2003 was the best performance um, I was going to say the best performance I've ever seen by a second row, but then you look at John Eales, whose nickname was Nobody because Nobody's Perfect. Um, <laughs> I still am stunned when I look at him with his huge feet, uh, kicking conversions and penalties from all over the field for Australia. When they brought in line-out lifting, he often said, no, I don't like being lifted. I can jump high enough on my own. So when you were throwing into the line-out against Australia, you would have a pot at the front, a pot at the back, 
and John Eales at six foot nine or ten jumping on his own almost to the same height. It was almost impossible to win the ball. And that's my excuse. I'm sticking to it if I can. But um, uh, he was just extraordinary. Now, both of those guys captained their teams as well to win World Cups. I think that's another reason. But both leaders, Keith, like is certain positions here as well. Do you notice personality traits that are that are quite similar? Like I know John and, and Martin, both both leaders. But do you notice that, generally speaking, from former teammates, that certain positions nearly have personality traits? Uh, well, I think I think Martin would be an enforcer. I don't think John Eales would be. Mm. Uh, uh, Martin was not the the most chatty. Um, would have relied on other guys around him to do that. Um, his level of of um, of aggression was fantastic, but equally well, I think he he grew as a leader as he got older. I mean, he he was made captain of the lines in ninety seven. He wasn't English captain at the time. Lawrence Delalio was, um, <clears throat> and that was the decision that was made by Ian McGeekin. And he was the right he was the right man for it, you know. And I, there are traits definitely, but whether they go for position or for people, I think it's more for people. Mm. Uh, your back row, right, is Ruben Kruger, Francois Pinar, and Zinzan Brook. Who's Ruben Kruger? Uh, Ruben Kruger was um, well. My first introduction to Ruben Kruger was in the Babas against South Africa in uh, 1994. He actually broke my nose, so I know that I have a picture of him holding my jersey. And his next, the next movement is. A bit of a swingy arm, and he broke my nose. Uh, Ruben was, um, he was this tough teak um, um, six or seven, and South Africa often used six as an open side, not a, not a, not a blind side. Um, but he was uh, central to that South African team at that period of time. And so I played against him for three or four years. Uh, he was an incredibly good guy. Another guy who sadly passed away. Um, uh, incredibly tough, hard, um, you know, of that time. And actually, when I looked at this by picking both Kruger and Francois Pinar, I, I was kind of picking... That's maybe some of the criteria or the latitude that I've taken is the idea of having players that were great at that moment in time, even though there happened to be other great players I may have played against later on in my career. Um, those two seem to stand out for me. Now, I could have gone for Andre Venter as well in the back, and we've already talked about Caban and Richard Hill or Michael Jones. I just never got the chance to play against Michael Jones, and he was spectacular. Um did play with and against Dave Wilson for Australia. He was very good. And I played against Richie McCaw a couple of times at the very start of his career. I played in his first cap. Um, and of course, Richie went on to be one of the all-time greats, of course. But I still felt there was something at that moment and that time that those two players together seemed to be phenomenal in Kruger and Pienaar. That actually, I think, Keith highlights how seriously you're taking this criteria. So a broken nose from Ruben Kruger and you still pick him in the team. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, but I thought he was. I thought he was. I just thought he was class. Um, and Pinar, of course, I think there is the iconic imagery of uh, of Mandela in in um, in in Francois's number six jersey in '95. Um, uh, I spent a bit of time with Francois. Uh, he's he's still statesmanlike in many in many respects. Um, but I do think that that was a defining moment. In, in you know in my rugby career was was that idea of of that history of that coming together for 95 how good a player was Pinar 
Inar was a he's, a, he's still an incredibly big man. I mean, it's quite hard to, to you know, because we all diminish as we, we get older, you know, and uh, he still is a big bear of a man. Um, I think he was cut short. I think that's another reason. I think he could have played for a good few years longer and didn't. And um, But we saw him. Um, I'm, I'm, I played against him a fair bit when he was with Saracens as, as well. Um, and he was he was very impressive. Uh, Zinzan Brook is your, your number eight. Um, am I right? I have in my head that Zinzan Brook was another man who liked to kick an out drop goal. Well, he could put them over, which was one of the great joys of, of Zinni. Um, I look, I played with and against Zinni um, for a lot. Um, he was the most outrageously talented player. Um, uh, he has said subsequently that he learned all his skills playing Gaelic football. Um, he was best friends with the McCahills, uh growing up outside Auckland when when they were um, when they were growing up and they played Gaelic football constantly. And he played all the time, and that's where he thinks he got all his hand-eye coordination and and skills. And I wouldn't doubt him. Um, he was just—he's a total sports billy. But he would make the right decision. I mean, the drop goal he got against, I think it was England in the semi-final in the World Cup in 95, on the hoof from 45 yards, straight over the bar. I mean, that's uh, Joe Malomo caused carnage that day, but that was the nail in the coffin. I think the new interviews in Zan for us, Keith, around the 2019 Rugby World Cup at one point as well in Dublin. Yeah, uh, yeah, certainly. So, no, um like we used to bets over who'd get the um, the next drop goal when we played for Queens <laughs> together, which uh, I will admit, and I admitted then I think that I won that bet, but he never paid me, so I'm I'm holding out for that one definitely. Um, I managed to scoop a dead a dead duck of a drop goal over against Northampton, but um, yeah, he did it on the international stage. He did it with comfort. He practiced all day every day. Uh, he just. Um, everybody would talk about him being natural. He was natural because he was first out to training. He may not have been the fittest at the end of his career, and he wasn't, but he was still able to get a ball to bounce whatever way he wanted to because he practiced it all the time. Your halfback partnership is George Gregan and Stephen Larkham. Um, That's the one now where I struggle on myself now. I really struggle because I struggle with not picking Johnny Wilkinson, um, though I loved Andrew Mertens. I loved, and again, he was very old school, um, and I always thought he was kind of a boring sort of guy until I met him and he's the least boring guy you'll ever meet um, but George Gregan and Stephen Larkham like George and I are the same age um, he uh, his durability at nine it was extraordinary I'd say he could still play today if you asked him um, he's in unbelievable condition um, but Stephen Larkham with that Australian team, I think it originally came from the, the sort of philosophies of, of Bob uh, Bob Templeton back back in the eighties. Um, but that ability to play and see and um, run different lines from anybody else were truly extraordinary. And the pair of them were look they broke my heart on 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 many occasions, um, on every occasion actually. That's the reason they get picked. They were. Um, they were absolutely phenomenal. Um, I only managed to beat Australia once, and that was with the Lions, and uh, which is a, a horrible statistic. Um, and they were at central to that for 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 all of it, pretty much. Um, Larkham, in particular, used Ghost, um, and it was before the fully structured defensive line. And if there was the hint of a gap, 
he had an ability to kind of accelerate on a sort of obscure line um, and ghost into a, a space and always have somebody outside him. And look, when we go to the centres, I could have had the two uh, Australian centres at the same time because they were world class at that stage. But I haven't because I've decided to go for something a bit different. OK, so just to some of the other players at, at 9 and 10 that are close but not actually on the list. Justin Marshall, Rob Howley, Yves van der Vestes and, and Fabian Galtier are the scrum halves. The other I'd have, you mentioned Mertens. Johnny Wilkinson doesn't yeah. make it. It's, um, he, was, he was pretty good. Yeah, Johnny was extraordinary. But again, it was in, in, in the time that... Look, and I toured with, with Johnny and, uh, and I played with him and against him. But uh, in terms of a pure line breaker 10, which um, I don't always like that, but, you know, for a guy that sets the place on fire, Stephen Larkham and, and George Gregan, and I put them together. And I also decided for, I didn't do this on every one of them. In fact, I, I absolutely didn't, but I did go for nine and 10 who knew each other perfectly. Yeah. Um, so Johnny will, um, whether he cares or doesn't care or not, will be upset or not, you know. But uh, I'm actually, that was the hardest one for me, was the uh, Stephen Larkham or Johnny Wilkins. Yeah, I can see why. Like, it's, they're, they're very different players. And maybe if it was for a long campaign, you might pick Johnny Wilkinson. But like, if it's Space Jam, as we said, the aliens are coming and you need to beat them, I might stick Larkham in there because he's going to do something and nobody's going to have a clue what, it's, what it is. What about Van der Vesthuizen? Um because there was like again I'm sure there were scrum halves before him who were as strong and as tall and of that athletic profile um, but there haven't been a heap of them you know traditionally the scrum half would have been more Gregan's shape and size and and, and technique but Van der Vesthuizen is like was he 6'3 six, 6'4 six, uh, Van der Vesthuizen he was a big man he was a force of nature um, um, he didn't have as good a pass as Georgie and uh, I would have said he was it's funny because you look at Ewist and you think he may be the best rugby player on that list of names, but not necessarily the best nine, you know. And um, so I, yeah. So that's the re- and that's one of the reasons I, I think George had um, played longer, played an awful lot more, um, but was technically fantastic. Like Ewist was the best running nine. Um, uh, best defending nine, um, one of the best kicking nines, you know, um, at that time. But yeah, I look, and I, as I said, this is not an exact science, um, and I can be challenged on every single one of these, and I'll fail in answering some of them too. You've got John Lomu on the wing, and the list of other wingers who it could have been are Campisi, Yain Evans, and Philippe Saint-André. That's a, there's a, a, as depth charts go, that's pretty bloody deep. It is, and I and it's funny because I've Lomo on one wing, and I've I think we should talk about the other wing as well at the same time. But if we talk about Lomo first, um, when Lomo came on the scene, I think it was '94, Hong Kong Sevens. I think that's where the world suddenly um, um, uh, got to notice him. I mean, two years prior, he had played against the um, he played for New Zealand schools against the Ireland schools. He played at number eight against Anthony Foley, and both of them have since passed away, which is terrible. But um, so we would have known about him a little from then, but then suddenly 94, he comes on, causes total carnage and the sevens, um, goes on to the World Cup 
And we now have Jonah Loma rugby because of, of that as a thought and an idea. And he changed pretty much everything. He was the first global superstar. Um, he changed, I think, he became the face of the, you know, the sort of potential of what professionalism could be at that stage in 95. And he was extraordinary, incredibly nice guy, quiet guy, um, um, considerate guy, um, but changed the game, I would have said. I remember asking Roger this question, Keith, a couple of years ago regarding Jonah Lomu. He talked about trying to hang on to his bootlaces when he was coming towards him. What, what's going through your head when Jonah Lomu is running full speed towards you on a pitch? Well, I, I got to say fear, but there isn't fear. I don't think so. Anyway, um, you 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 you're talking, you're thinking about commitment. Um, and I remember going to tackle him at one stage, and I said I'd get him exactly in the right spot, just above the knee. Um, uh, and I, for all intents and purposes, it was like hitting a force field that you'd see in Star Trek or something. I don't know that I actually hit him, but I didn't knock him, or nothing seemed to happen. I mean, the the best guy I knew to tackle him was Peter Stringer, and Stringer seemed, he used to get tangled up in his feet, and that was the way of knocking him over. I mean, he was huge, absolutely huge, a really, really big, um, like it was just like what about he was six foot five or six. Um, um, I think, um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, six foot five or six. 17 and a half, 18 stone moving at an unbelievable clip. Um, it's not fear, but you may not be fully entirely filled with confidence that you're going to do the job. Um, you, you mentioned the other wing at the same time. So it's Jason Robinson getting in ahead of Joe Roth. What is it that made Jason Robinson be in your team? Again, I suppose ahead of Campesi and Ian Evans and, and PSA as well. Yeah, look, I put them all in at different times and actually, I, and I'm always getting 11s and 14s wrong. So whoever wants to kind of criticize which players are picked on which side, you can, you can, I'll take whatever that. Uh, the reason I went for, for Jason Robinson um, at that time was, again, I thought he changed a lot of the game. I thought he became, um, he was an incredible convert uh, to rugby union, having played rugby league at such an incredible level, having done everything in that game, he then moved over to to union. He got kind of picked a little bit early on on the Lions tour in two thousand and one. I think it was it was a probably a big call to pick him until you saw him at training, and then it wasn't a big call at all. And he was so. I, I when I played against him and I trained against him, it was fear because it wasn't a fear of being run over. It wasn't, um, um, you know, there was no uh, bodily fear. It was embarrassment. Um, he his nickname was Billy Wiz, which was a really good nickname for him. He was like a swirling dervish. You you literally couldn't. Uh, you couldn't get hands on him. He could stop on the spot and step left and step right. You'd fresh air at different times. Not many players would do that. He could do that uh, incredibly to the fact that he then went and went on a Lions tour and then, you know, continued on with England afterwards. I thought he was, I thought he was incredible. Now there's so many other guys that could have been there, but I just thought at that time he became, he was the best convert at that stage. Um, Campisi, you kind of missed the peak. Campisi, is that one of the reasons? Well, that's it. That's yeah. that's the reason. I mean, I, I look, I've often talked about Campisi because he played in the first tests that that I played, and he lost some of his pace. 
But what he learnt in his last year or two was how to kick the ball 65 yards on, on a parallel straight down the pitch, left and right. So he'd lost the pace, but he was still the best kicking option that was in the game, which was pretty amazing. Um, and of course, it could have gone with him just as easy. And uh, and he was extraordinary. And um, it, it's funny, when I go back to thoughts and times when I wasn't playing, before I played uh, his pass to Timmy Horn for the try in the semi-final of the World Cup in 91, which he, he sidesteps and runs past, runs to the touchline and just little tip back in over his shoulder, knowing that Tim Horn would be there. Um, it went down as the, the moment of that World Cup, but it was just sublime skill. Yeah. Uh, uh, one quick, quick question about Ian Evans. He's kind of, for a whole generation, is more a pundit than a player. So what was he like as a player? Um, well, he, I think Yain was the... Now, I'm not old enough to remember a lot of the 70s rugby, but I've watched a lot of the 70s rugby of that great team, um, the great Welsh team that, that beat England consistently and won Grand Slams. They were pretty phenomenal. Um, there was a bit of a gap then afterwards, and I think Yain plugged that gap. Yain was... He was just a flyer, but an incredible finisher. And so he had an ability to um, to evade. When there was space on the field, he found the space. And um, uh, he was an incredible link man, but he didn't need to link for the most part himself. He was he was he was going to score. And uh, look, I was very fortunate to get the the chance to tour with him. Um, I called him Dad actually on the tour in '97. and he was the oldest guy on, on, on that trip. And he played He played the first test, got injured afterwards. But um, I didn't get to play against him enough for him to, to, to be there. That would be the reason why he wasn't there. Fair enough. Was unbelievable. I mean, he was exciting. So he would have set the place alight. Right. Uh, that's it really important kind of thing in, in picking these teams and the, that power of nostalgia as well. So Christian Cullen is your fullback. Um it's fair to say that uh, so many Irish rugby fans don't really fully appreciate Christian Cullen because his time in Munster was so unfortunately injury blighted. But um, when we're talking about setting the place alight and being exciting, there's very few people ever who've had the kind of impact that Christian Cullen had when he got the ball in his hands. Look, if we if we look at some of the others we've there, we've uh, Emil Entomac, or as Pat Whelan used to call him, Natomac, um, Andre Joubert, Jeff Wilson. I even put Gavin in there because Gavin was very important for um, uh, for for rugby at the time. Um, but Christian set the world alight. Um, he had the best running style of any um, fullback I'd seen. Now he was playing in an incredible team, but he picked the best line consistently. But it was the zigzagging of his run. It was his accelerating onto onto a ball, um, accelerating into a space. He'd have these crazy arcing runs and then absolutely like destroying the opposition with a step. And he stepped off both legs incredibly well. He just had to play some fire. We didn't get to see the best of him when he played in Ireland with with Munster. His his knees were shot and you know, if you're if you're talking about a stepping fullback and his knees aren't working, we're never going to see the best, and that was very unfortunate um, for him. Um, and he didn't get the chance to to end out his career as he would have liked to. But I can't remember his stats, but his stats were a try a game nearly nearly for his whole for his whole career. He was just extraordinary, and um, uh, for me, he was he wasn't a big man either. 
And I just thought he was like kind of Roy the Rover stuff when you saw him at 15. The uh, the last two then are obviously the centres. We, we skipped over those. So uh, the ones who didn't make it, Tim Horan, Jason Little and Frank Bunce. So this is a this is going to have to be a good centre partnership and it's not bad mm-hmm. Jeremy Guscott and Scott Gibbs speaking of um, converts so yeah well Gibbsy was rugby first then was went he? to rugby league okay. yeah, and uh, and then came back to rugby so that was why I, I'd said that in that fashion uh, Jeremy was uh, he was the he was the prince of centres you know and I have them at 12 and 13 because they often wore different jerseys he did with England um, but Jerry was a 13 for the most part or um, but his ability to show and go. Um, and again, I think it's different because the, the game has changed an awful lot. So you wouldn't have as much space to show and go now because the defensive line is far straighter. Um, but he had incredible acceleration. And also, which which I would have said, you know, he was selfish enough to go for it and to score but he also knew when to make the pass. And I thought he was a fantastic uh, um, uh, passer at the right time. He was a great man to put a fullback or a winger away and did that consistently. Um, Gibbsy was, and I played against him um, and I played with him. He was about as destructive as it comes as, as a 12. Um, he was just, he was, extra, he was extraordinary. And, I mean, it changed the game. People might think that it's changed the game to the negative because there's so little space. But he was he was a, he was the as he was described as the fastest prop who ever played in the centre. You know, fastest prop in the world. <laughs> but he was he was absolute solid, total tank, and the two of them got on unbelievably well. And um, they uh, it, it, again that was one of those very easy partnerships to see on a lines uh, on a lines tour they were just incredibly comfortable with it and like I often talk about the fact that in the second test in 97 Jeremy played very quietly he didn't have a huge amount to do um, uh, Scott Gibbs did a colossal amount of work Jeremy didn't do a huge amount um, and the, I'm going to say the game was drifting him by uh, to some degree until he had to make his one telling element which was to score his first ever drop goal which was magnificent Frank Bunce just missing out to, to Scott Gibbs Keith I know you played against Frank plenty of times an All Blacks legend not plenty of times no I'm, I'm, I, I only played against, times. I think I only played against him once but that was at the uh, at the end of his career but he is one of the guys that I would have um, grown up and watched and there was him and Walter Little and, and um, Stanley and there was but Frank Bunce was amazing great hands great physicality like a really good blend but again, I didn't play against him enough. It was, or didn't see him enough at that at his pump. Was there anybody who you'd like to play against that you didn't? Um, Sean Fitzpatrick. All right. Sean, yeah, Sean isn't in 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 the list of of hookers. Of course, he, sh- he should be in the list of hookers, but um, he isn't because I didn't play against him. He he got injured and pulled out about three days before we played them in '97. Um, but he was the he was the the totem pole to the change of of what hooker play was um and um ball carrying forwards you know the sort of different roles that started 10 years previously with with Fitzy and um uh his longevity was truly extraordinary you know i 
Um, he played. Did he play fifty-eight or sixty tests without missing a minute? You know, and like extraordinary stuff. You know, but um, so I didn't get the chance to play against him. Of course, there's loads that you look at that you'd say Serge Blanco, who was um, was as a as a kid was my favourite um, player. I'd, I'd Philippe Saint Andre down on that list. There was a load of French guys that that played in the in the eighties that were extraordinary. They played this wonderful um, style of rugby. You'd love to have been able to play that or to see that as well with their pristine so, white shorts against Ireland as well, where they they haven't even touched the ground. I played in a couple of those too, so there, <laughs> there's no fun in that either. But um, yeah, I mean, when you look back at the list. You think it's pretty. There's some pretty wonderful players in there, you know, and and so that's, um, yeah. I, it was a really interesting time of rugby because rugby was changing, um, and um, so you saw. So and that team, I think, is a reflection of some of the old and the new. Yeah, great stuff, Keith. Brilliant. Thanks a million. I'm glad you wasted yeah. your Monday so that we could spend some time with you on the Wednesday. It was great. <laughs> okay, cheers, gents. Good luck. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.